I didn't have a job. I didn't really want a job at that point. You know, I, I resigned from the police. I was working on the sexual offences unit in Newham at that time, thoroughly enjoyed it. But on the other side, I thought I couldn't really see myself doing that for the rest of my life. You know, mm. I knew that there was more out there and I don't regret a single moment. If you're a police officer or currently working in law enforcement and you're considering your career, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Andy Lobron. Welcome to the Blue Light Leavers podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 53 of the Blue Light Leavers podcast. Now, I'm sure, like me, there are certain times during your working life where you have these crossroads and you need to make a decision as to what you're going to do. This episode is going to be particularly relevant for those that are considering a career break or have um, are actually taking a career break now and are maybe thinking about coming back and what to do post-career break. And the theme throughout this is about maybe taking risks and being brave. And I think, what if it all works out? Um, so today I'm talking to Justine Banks. Justine is a former Met Police officer who did exactly that. They had a, a real life-changing decision to make and they stepped out of their comfort zone and they did exactly that. And it's not been easy. It's not been uh, a bed of roses all the time. They've been through some really tough times. But it just goes to show that if you do need to take some time out, that actually you can come back and you can flourish and you can continue to grow. And Justine's now working for an extraordinary organisation called Pinkerton. And she goes on to talk through about this organisation towards the end of the interview. But um, I promise you, it's a fantastic episode. It's going to mess with your head for some of you, I'm sure. But, uh, but it's all about being brave, taking risks. What if it all works out? Let's go over to Justine now. Hi, Justine. Thanks so much for uh, agreeing to be interviewed for the Blue Light Leavers podcast. Really good of you. And there's a bit of a time difference between us, isn't there? Do you want to explain, um, tell us a little bit about who you are and where you are? It'd be great. Thank you, Andy. Well, it's a pleasure actually to join you this afternoon. Um, Yeah, you're right about the time difference. I'm currently uh, working from home in Dubai. And yes, we are now four hours ahead of the UK. Brilliant. Oh, amazing. And um, I can see the sun shining there as well. And actually, unusually, the sun is shining here as well. So, uh, so there is, that's about the, the only thing we've got in common. I don't think the temperatures are the same. But we've got that, not not same. today. They definitely won't be the same at the, this time of the year. You know, we're high 30s, early 40s. So, um, yeah, it's this time of the year that I think I'd actually quite like to be in England, you know, miss the seasons. But, yeah, you sure. know, it's, it's not all bad. Yeah, brilliant. Oh, you're very lucky. And um, what we'll do, we'll, we'll talk through how you ended up there as well. And, and if we can just go into your policing career a little bit and just um, tell us about you know when you joined and who joined and, um, and, and the type of roles that you had, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, sure. Um, so, gosh, I mean, you're getting the old grey matter going a bit now, isn't it? 1990, I joined um, just before my 20th birthday, actually. Um, and upon finishing at uh, Hendon, I went to A District. I was at Rochester Row when it was Rochester Row there. I think that's all closed down now. It's by the Royal Military Police Barracks that used to have the mounted branch there as well. Um, and then it amalgamated and became Belgravia. So uh, I, I stayed there probably a good five years, I think, in uniform. Um, transferred then to K District um, at Plasto uniform police officer there for a couple of years and then that was where I kind of found my flair if you like for investigations and uh, applied for the divisional crime squad 
and didn't look back from there actually I did a lot of the um, the usual crime squad robbery squads burglary squads all of those sorts of um, plainclothes roles worked with some fantastic people along the way and uh, did the detectives um, examination in 2000 I think that was and um, did my trainee detective course in on Hackney Hackney Stoke Newington Shoreditch worked in the um, you know the normal departments that you would imagine on a, on a borough the uh, community safety units hate crimes um, again ro- robberies and burglaries and also went over to the anti-corruption command at the Directorate of Professional Standards for a while down in Putney. Mm. Uh, Worked on the Daniel Morgan investigation, which was uh, very interesting, Um, although it wasn't one of the the Metropolitan Police's success stories for one reason or another. um, It it was a very interesting case because it was so high profile. Can you tell uh, us a little know, bit about that, Justine? Just, just in people, if people aren't sure what that was, would you just expand on that a little for us? Yeah, sure. So uh, Daniel Morgan um, was a partnership um, with a, an investigations company called uh, Southern Investigations. Now, if I'm not mistaken, they operated from South London. And um, I mean, it, it's widely published in the media, but there was dispute between the partners. Daniel Morgan was a partner with Jonathan Rees and um, allegedly there was a dispute between the two of them. Um, they met in a pub, um, supposedly, I suppose, to, to talk about the dispute. And that was the last time that um, Daniel Morgan was seen alive. He was, at, I put it, uh, somebody killed him by um, hitting him on the head with a, an axe and he was found in the pub car park. But that was in the 1980s, 1985 or something like that. But following that murder, um, there were allegations of police corruption, um, incompetency in the investigation, all these sorts of things. And if, you know, there's been quite a few foul people have been arrested, um, charged, not necessarily with the murder, but, you know, with connecting things to the murder. And um, and and it's still one of the Met's unsolved cases, mm. unfortunately. Mm. It's been really interesting to be involved in that. And uh... yeah, it was very interesting. And I mean, it, it it taught me a lot actually, because obviously I'd only really been involved in in borough policing, you know. So your reactive um, investigations, and then but this one, you know, was a lot more. Um, covert technical mm. surveillance led um intrusive surveillance you know those, those sorts of things that i really hadn't experienced before and and the access to resources that that particular department had was you know it was phenomenal really um yeah so it kind of gave me a, a, an eye open on on being part of a team and being assigned a task that only i was tasked with and then obviously everybody else had their own actions and then they all came together you know you don't see it at the time Mm. um but they all come together so we all had a very important part to play individually 
Yeah, it must be incredible to be involved with that. And um, like I say, just gives an opportunity to get involved with things. And that's the beauty of the policing, I think, really, isn't it? That you can diversify and, and you know, different departments give you different experiences. And, and then obviously they then transfer into other careers if you decide to leave, you know, mid-service or in retirement, definitely. So, absolutely. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm so grateful for the opportunities that, um, you know, I did 16 years in the Met before I left, but um, I was so grateful for every opportunity. I couldn't mm-hmm. say that there was, you know, I enjoyed every single minute of it, every single minute of it, the people, the the work, the diversity, mm-hmm. the challenges, you know, it was um, it was a chance to you know to, to apply yourself, you know, mentally. Um, either working individually, you know, you need to come up with an idea. But it it was good that you know we all had we were all like minded people. We all had a common goal, and it was great there to you know share idea and pitch ideas. You know, to because nobody's idea is the best idea, right? It isn't. It is if you haven't got anybody else to talk to, but you know, in terms of how how best to deal with the with the investigation, to strategize what can we do, what could work, what couldn't work. And you know, as I say, um, there was no, or certainly in the departments that I worked in, there was no, no kind of ego. You know, mm-hmm. everybody was everybody was there for their for the common good, which was to support the public. Mm-hmm. So why did you decide to take a career break then? What was it that that changed for you or was it um, just a decision based on circumstances? Well, it was circumstances, yeah, but it wasn't my own decision, if you like. Um, Back in 2000, I'd say probably 2003, something around about that time, my husband then was at the Diplomatic Protection Group and he had always had some um, interest in flying and around about Valentine's Day one year, I bought him this hours flight list, and you know, um, and he said, you know what, I think I want to do this commercially. I, I, I think I want to leave the police eventually and be a commercial pilot. And he said, I'm, you know, I'm working at the DPG. I can finance it myself. So um, will you support me? And I said, yeah, of course, absolutely. So he did. He financed his own flying career, and then of course. 9-11 happened mm-hmm. and he said you know what I don't think I'm ever going to get a flying job now nobody's going to want to fly now with what with everything that's going on and I said you know what you've invested so much money that you can't possibly know what's going to happen in the future you know at least carry on see how you get on and if it doesn't work then what have you lost you've lost money yes but you just don't know anyway um it paid off he got a couple of flying jobs in the UK and then an opportunity came for us to, or for him actually, to work for Singapore Airlines. And uh, in 2006, um, we left. At that time, I had two children, mm. um, one going into secondary school and one only three years old. And uh, we left, all of us, uh, sold the house and, and off we went to Singapore uh, where he was uh, cargo for two years. Um, and then, of course, 2008, the crash happened. Mm-hmm. And it was a kind of like one of those last one in, first one out. And at that time, Emirates Airlines were massively recruiting. And um, he interviewed for Emirates and came across to Emirates in, in 2006. 
And that's where we are now. He's done very well in his career um, outside of the police as a captain now at Emirates. And um, yeah, so I suppose if you like, Andy, I, I'm the trading spouse. You've done so well yourself. You really have. And we'll go into that in a bit more detail in a second. And uh, um, But yeah, honestly, it, it, you know, reading through your career history, it was it's really, really impressive. And, and um, that must have been a massive bottle test for you all to, to decide to, to pack up and give it a go and just see what happens. It's, it's well, easily think- not, it's probably easier to not to do that and well, to bottle it, it a bit. I mean, look, I mean, everybody's got their own um, personal circumstances. You know, some people have very, very close community ties, family ties, Mm. financial commitments. Um, But we were of the view that let's go. If it doesn't work out, we're not fixed there for life. Yes, it's going to be an expensive um, wrong move, if you like. But let's take the opportunity. The children were young. We were a lot younger then. Um, you know, we weren't almost at the end of our careers, so as, as you might say now. Um, but I just thought it was a fantastic opportunity for the children as well, uh, and also for us, I mean, to, to be an expat. Um, but you're right, yeah, it was a bottle test. I mean, I didn't have a job. I didn't really want a job at that point. You know, I, I resigned um, from the police. I was working on the sexual offences uh, unit at, um, in Newham at that time um thoroughly enjoyed it but on the other side you know I thought I couldn't really see myself doing that for the rest of my life you know Mm. I knew that there was more out there Mm. you know and I don't regret a single moment Mm. yeah yeah that's a really exciting thing and it's um and was it fairly straightforward to do because I'm I'm assuming it was uh, a sponsored move yeah so um uh, well obviously diff- every country is different so um one of the requirements of, of singapore with the airline then was that they didn't recognize um um common law relationships so although we'd been together for however many years and had two children they didn't recognize that so purely in- <laughs> It's it's crazy, actually, but purely for a financial reason, we got married Uh um, because obviously just to get the benefits. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that was definitely not on my. uh, Well, well, it wasn't on the on the cards, but it was. Mm. Andy said to me one day, "said Oh, we won't be able to go to Singapore." because we're not married. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, we, we won't get the, um, the married people's allowance. And, you know, you don't get these flights and you don't get schooling and you don't get this and you don't get that. And I said, well, hold on a minute. Get your diary. What are you doing next Wednesday? <laughs> I'm late turn. I said, well, I'm early turn, so that's not going to work. When's your next day off? Okay, oh, well, I'm amazing. off. I'm off on the 17th of July. Okay, then, well, let's let's do it then. And, oh, and it brilliant. literally was. It literally was down at, I think it was Barking Registry Office. Right. No, no glitz and glamour, nothing like that. It was, yes, okay, then. Um, Find oh, the paper. Fantastic. And off we went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Oh, I love that. Right. So you've moved, you've gone over to Singapore. Um, mm. How did you find that initial, um, you know, that initial sort of transition? Obviously, you took your career break and, and settling in and, um, and you know, I guess, re-establishing yourself within a community and that sort of stuff. 
Well, it was. I was really sad to leave the, the police, actually, because it was. I it was all I had ever known since you know, I was nineteen or twenty. Um, but I knew as well that I I was given a great opportunity, and that I didn't have to work because, as I say, I had two young children, um, a three-year-old and a, a an eleven-year-old then, and it just gave me. I think the opportunity to stay at home, certainly with the younger one during those kind of formative years, you know, whereas before I've been working early's lates, night shift work, you know, we were part and I were, we were passing ships in the night. And I just thought this would really give me an opportunity to be there for my children um, and to, to, to be there as much as I could. And I was, and I was there, you know, um, there were so many things that I had missed in the police um sports days parents evenings you know these sorts of things and um, because I wasn't able to get off or off work and time or got delayed at work but for certainly for the youngest one well for both of them actually I was I was there for them well for the first two years while we well, for those two years that we lived there anyway but um Singapore was a fantastic place it was a, a brilliant expat community it's a very small island um very diverse uh, population as well. Um, lots of, you know, the culture there is amazing. Um, you know, um, and of course, then, you know, you're, you're, it's like the gateway to the Southeast Asia. So you were never really far from, from anywhere. And we, you know, we, we used to hop in the car and go across the border to Malaysia and four hours, we were on a different island. Um, and then, you know, we'd drive back to Singapore. It was just a fantastic lifestyle. Um, and as I say, lots of expats there and they, all the supermarkets had all the Western food. So, you know, it really wasn't that difficult. I mean, they say that Singapore is Asia for beginners because it really does transition you into it quite slowly. So that if you were perhaps to go to somewhere like China or Thailand or that those places that perhaps aren't as Westernized or um or, or more advanced that you're kind of used to it so no it was great I, I thoroughly enjoyed the two years that we had there um, but yeah. of course all good things come to an end don't they they do um, well you sort of hope not but yeah generally speaking yeah. they do but it's um, I've, I've been in Singapore on, on holiday and on the stopover actually going to Australia so uh, to see my daughter but uh, love the place and yeah, um, no, yeah incredible spent a few days there not a couple of years unfortunately but it's uh, <laughs> um so if we look at your career progression then, because mm. um, we haven't actually touched on what you're doing now, but we'll, we'll come to that in due course. But um, yeah. I know you, you started off, if I'm right, um, sort of like a, an admissions officer for schools type of role. Was that right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So, of course, I, I, I came to Dubai um, again, you know, uh, my daughter then was five and she was just going into the, the her FS1 or the pre-K1 or whatever you want to call it uh, then. And I had a lot of time on my hands. And so I, I, I was quite heavily involved in the school, you know, um, charity, fundraising, that sort of thing at the mm. Parent Teachers Association. And um, got talking to the head uh, uh, one particular day and the school was opening a new school, um, a new campus. And it was a different curriculum. It was an international baccalaureate curriculum. And mm. uh, it just it came up in conversation that he was looking for an operations manager there. I said, oh, you know, I think I'd, I'd like to apply for that. If you, you know, if you think that my um, 
you know, if you think that I would fit the profile for that. And it's absolutely because he'd worked with me for a, for a, a little while or not worked with me, but he'd seen, you know, what I was like in the um, Parent Teachers Association, you know, in terms of um, generating revenues mm-hmm. and, you know, monies and things for the school. Anyway, yes, I was. I was there for, I was there for a, um, about three or four years, I think. Um started off as the office manager in charge of the administration team and the facilities team and it was great actually because every day I know it's a, it's a school but every day was different you know there was different problems you know the bus would break down or the bus would go without the kids and how are we going to get the kids home and um you know just things just not running running as they should do um and it was just, you know, I was thinking on my feet how to resolve those issues. And those sorts of things just, I just did them because they just were second nature. But not everybody's got that kind of um, ability to mm. think on their feet, you know. And I can't help but thinking sometimes, you know, that the, the experience that I had in the police where you have to make decisions, split decisions, mm. definitely gave me a good grounding um for things that I you know take for granted mm. um yeah so and I also um worked there as um the admissions officer as well so mm. we were responsible for the retention and recruitment of children or students and teachers um yeah so we went from a, a school that had you know probably half a dozen kids right to filling up uh, grade seven uh, which is I think is the first year of the senior school mm. um, within within two years, which is a huge um, achievement really. Mm-hmm. When there's so much competition uh, of schools in Dubai, so again that was you know being diligent, having to go through all of the applications and weeding out those students or those parents that were no longer interested, mm. calling them, being you know being had to, you had to keep on and you know so again communication skills comes in mm. and having that sort of personality that you can you can sell the school so yeah so um I, I thoroughly enjoyed that so um but again investigations were always on the forefront of my mind mm. and um I saw an opportunity there um let me think where did I go then I I, I went for I saw an investigation post for a, a, um, an IP law firm, inte- intellectual property law firm, who were looking for a proactive investigator to um, support their clients' anti-counterfeit programs. Um, and, of course, Dubai is a gateway for counterfeiters. We've got some of the busiest ports in the world uh, in free zones at Jebel Ali and uh, in some of the other emirates in Ras Al Khaimah and Ajman and Sharjah. And so um, the amount of counterfeit product or grey market products that come into this region is just phenomenal. And we had um, a healthy client um, portfolio there. So it was a big diversification um, across all industries. Um, however, the reality was that the investigations that I um, was used to, you know, proactives, it was more online 
open source searches, which, you know, I hadn't really done any of that, you know. And I found it quite challenging because, you know, counterfeiters are not going to say, oh, here, I'm on Amazon, come and find your counterfeits, you know. Um, so it was it was difficult. So I left that job after a short while. I knew it wasn't for me. Mm. They, would, they would probably get somebody that was probably a little bit more um, interested in that sort of in that sort of work. It was more office space, mm. which was not what I wanted to do. And then uh, after that, I worked for an in, um, an investigation company, and it was commercial information. So again, it was it, it's funny. It's the same sort of thing, but obviously in this part of the region, um, the rules are that being investigators, private investigators, is not allowed. So uh, you, on a trade license, you have to become some something that is a, a, a service or an activity that is agreed. So it was an information, a corporate information service. Mm. Um, and again, but it was much the same thing. We would go out and actually physically go out into the marketplace and find counterfeits, mm. um, whether, whether it was a handbag or a brake pad or um, medicines um, or, or mobile phone devices, you know, it, anything you could get. And, you know, we would have to then um, relay our findings to the authorities, proper report writing, evidence. So, again, all of these things that you, mm. you, you do in the background in the police, you know, you take witness statements, well, we were the witnesses, if you like. We bought test purchases. That was the evidence. Mm. Um, presenting the files. Well, that was like doing your case files for the Crown Prosecution, you know. And I think uh, that also the, the language that you use, you know, the report, the structure of the report writing, it was clear. You know, there was, um, I mean, obviously, it's not as strict in the Middle East as it is in England with gatekeepers looking mm. to make sure that you've got the evidence. But, um, you know, the the principle's the same. And, yeah, that we used to go to courts and get the warrants and uh, assist the, whether it was the CID or the, the police CID or um, the equivalent of the trading standards, which is the econo relevant economic departments in each of the, each of the um, emirates. Um, and... Yeah, so I stayed with that company for five years. Um, I left that company for career progression. There was insufficient um, um, capital in that business. It was a startup. It was a startup when I joined, um, but um, there was no real capital behind it, no oomph, you know, wasn't really going anywhere, and neither was I. And uh, I was approached by Pinkerton, and I'd read about Pinkerton you know, years before, um, and was wowed, if you like, by their rich and diverse history. Mm. Um, a, a company that was the oldest or is the oldest investigation company in the world. Mm. 170 years it's been going for, or going for. Started off as um, in counterfeits from a guy from Scotland, Alan Pinkerton, who moved over to um, who moved over to America. And um, again, found his niche uh, in investigations and um, in actual fact. And one of the legacies that he left behind was foiling the assassination plot for Abraham Lincoln. 
And wow. he and that's where the American Secret Service originated from. When the plot to kill Abraham Lincoln was foiled by Pinkerton and his team, Abraham Lincoln said, you know what, I, I want you guys to look after me wherever I go when I become president. And um, and yeah, and that's where that's where the Secret Service originated from. I didn't know that. That's incredible. I didn't know what the link was. I've heard of Pinkerton. Obviously, you, you know how they're massive and and so well established and a, you know incredible yeah. reputa- reputation. But I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's other little things that they've um, that they can take credit for. You know, the um, the board that you hold up when you you you, you um, face and when when you get your um, photograph taken, you know, um, they they came up with that. Mm-hmm. Lots of other things. Um, yeah, I mean, now Pinkerton is a, a one-stop shop for a whole kind of mm-hmm. risk mitigation. Um, uh, um, yeah, I mean, obviously we do executive protection uh, for high net worth individuals if they want to um, – not necessarily because we think that they're going to be at risk of kidnap, but it's, you know, a lot of our clients go to um, underdeveloped countries um, and would like, you know, they have meetings with um, government there and they want to make sure that they're going to get there safely. So we have in-country drivers to basically take them around, make sure they get from point A to point B on time. Mm executive protection, uh, protected services where we uh, look after our clients' resources to make sure that it's uh, the resources are stored in a safe and secure manner. Um, so we've got our own warehouse facilities. Um, again, we, we still do our um, investigations and due diligence, and that's run by our Pinkerton Global Investigation Unit, which works from um, California. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, our office in Dubai has the overall responsibility for the whole of the Middle East, Africa, Turkey and Pakistan. So you can imagine, you know, we've got a real diverse area in terms of the whole of Africa mm. is huge. The whole of the Middle East is massive and all of the issues that go on or can go on, because, of course, you know, we are surrounded by other countries that are probably, you know, not very stable. Mm. Iran, for example. Um, we were fortunate here that when the Arab Spring happened, when Bahrain and Egypt and all of these other countries, you know, the, the population started rioting, we we were kind of waiting, thinking that it was going to spill out onto the streets of Dubai. But Dubai is a real anomaly, you mm. know. I think it's because the government here look after the people very, very well that they wouldn't dare, um, you know, misbehave, if you like. So so my role, my role at Pinkerton is uh, as one as the operations manager. So I'm responsible for the whole of that, that those regions that I just mentioned. Um, We've got a team of dedicated professionals that do all the pre-employment screening due diligence investigations, know your customer. Um, Again, we've got a team there that do the protected services that um, we operate from in in Abu Dhabi and also um, in Dubai. We also have um, a team of embedded Pinkerton employees who work um, in all different sorts of industries. 
you know, it could be in the nuclear industry, it could be in the tech industry. And so because we are experts in that field, companies come to us and say, look, we, we don't really know where to look for these people. Um, we're looking for a neuroscientist or a nuclear scientist. You know, can you share it on your network? And so, yeah, so that's another um element of what we do so it's making sure that all of these entities um operate smoothly mm. yep. and is that um, what your role does specifically justine well, is, as an operations manager is that what you do or what would your day-to-day role entail okay so uh, pinkerton has just gone through some restructuring um and so our business now has essentially gone into four different verticals so we've got pinkerton global investigation unit so all of the investigations are now done by those 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 individuals um and the same with the pre-employment screening and the uh, risk advisory all of these different elements of the business are run by subject matter experts mm. so I now, my role has, has changed slightly in the last sort of couple of months uh, to become now more like um, a, a regional account manager. So I make sure that our clients are happy, that they're getting the service that they deserve. If there are issues, then obviously I'm the primary point of contact mm. and we try and resolve those issues. And by collaborating with or, or communicating with our Pinkerton Global Investigation Unit, we come up with new ideas of how we can support our client. Because, you know, if you're just waiting for instructions from a client, they might never ever come because a client can only instruct you on what they know. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's why we need people out in the market to say, well, did you, did you realise that you've got a problem with this product? You know, we're seeing it here or we're seeing it there or... Um, you know, did you think that you could take this risk advisory service somewhere else or your protected services? Don't you think that we could roll out that program that we do in Dubai? Couldn't we do that in other areas where you've, you know, where you've feel that there might be a risk? So, yeah, so it, it it's putting ideas in our clients' head to make them think about things that they perhaps hadn't thought of before, how we can support them. Um, and of course, we're always on the lookout for new clients. Mm. So there's a bit of business development. Yeah, business, very much so. Yeah, business development yeah. because the because the office now, you know, it it as I say, it's gone into those different verticals, and those people they they manage themselves very very well. Mm. And um, just for people who may not know about Pinkerton, are they are they global? Where are their main offices um, based? So yes, they are. So. Um, Pinkerton, actually, uh, they're based, that the, the corporate offices are based in America, in Detroit. Um, but we have a footprint in over 150 plus countries. So, um, and of course, um, we've got our own careers page. So I would invite anybody that's looking for a career outside of the police or, you know, coming up to retirement, have a look at um, Pinkerton careers. There are roles all over the place and you know for different people different skills um whether it's in the UK whether it's you know the good thing about Pinkerton as well is that if they find the right candidate they will support uh, the visas they will support the move as long as you've got the right to work in the country if, you know if you can't if your if your profile fits the 
the um, or you, you've got the competencies that the pro, that the candidacy requires, then Pinkerton is a fantastic uh, organisation and to get you to where you want to be. Yeah, great. I'll I'll link to the careers page in the uh, in the show notes as well, Justine. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's an amazing career progression, and um, and it's really good to hear that you you know you enjoyed what you're doing and you and you loved your time in the police as well. And it's been a really positive experience all the way through. I think that that's you know I love that. Um, what I also love as well is that early doors, you realise that a career path, that particular job wasn't the right one for you, mm. and so you just sort of you just move on and and I just did a similar thing with a company that I was working for I spent 12 months there and thought mm, it's a bit this I'm not a, the great fit for this role they can find someone yeah. better and it's not a great fit yeah. for me and yeah. the beauty of being outside of the emergency services and law enforcement is actually you can do that can't you? you can just go actually I don't want to do this anymore I'm going to try and find something else and, and find something that I really enjoy doing and um and just you know take a little pivot or do a you know a full 180 it's an amazing I think the, I think the thing is with the police, it was always a vocation, wasn't it? You know, it was a job for life. Yeah. Um, and so I can understand why people wouldn't want to leave because not many other jobs are really jobs for life yeah. or to give you that sort of job security. So um, I, I can understand why some people might think, oh, you know, I'm going to stay and even if they don't enjoy it because it's a reg- it's yeah, in their comfort zone. But honestly, my advice would be really, Andy, and you, you can probably um, concur with this, life is too short. The world is a very small place. Um, I think if you're not happy in the role that you do, if you're not happy in your lifestyle, you're in a bit of a rut, there is or there are plenty of opportunities um, out there for, for everybody. Yeah, uh, absolutely bang on. Um, can we just talk about skills and experience and how they're mapping across from what you've done previously into the role that you're currently doing, Justine? Is that all right? So if yeah. you sort of identify some of the skills that you picked up maybe in policing that you're now using within the Pinkerton role? Um, I posted something, actually. I nicked something from a social media. Yeah. Was it yours? No, it was Joe's. Joe's. Oh, is it Joe's? Joe Crock has put some great stuff out on LinkedIn at the moment. And, uh, He's yeah, brilliant. A brilliant post, yeah. It was, so I hadn't really thought about that until I saw that. And I think, you know, the police do get a little bit of a bashing in the paper, don't they, for being, you know, often called derogatory names, plods and you know, um, all these sorts of things. And and when you think about it, you know, the police, actually, you don't have to be the most brainiest people. You know, you don't have to have a degree. It's just different. You're different sorts of people. The police need all different sorts of people to do the job that they do. And some people might have strengths in one area and some might have strengths in other areas. And and Joe put on on that post, he said, you know, like, we're brilliant at analysing data or analysing facts to make decisions. We're, we're brilliant at strategising. You know, we're great at communication. We don't mind confrontation. We work in diverse areas. We are confident. We are independent. We are leaders. Mm. All of these different skills that you kind of take for granted. And it wasn't until I read that and I thought, you know what? Yeah, there are so many transferable skills that we do take for granted that 
you haven't that you don't consider actually and when you think about it yeah all of those things are transferable you know um as I said, when I was working in that school, you know, I had to make decisions on my you know, thinking on my feet. Right? How am I gonna? How am I gonna get these kids home that the bus is left behind? Or how are we gonna get the the kids up in the morning? Problem solving, you know, isn't it? Yeah. problem solving. Yeah. yeah. And um, so there's all of these different skills. I def- I mean, my report writing. Uh, uh, when you kind of um, go into these kind of more managerial positions, you know, you spend a lot of time writing reports, proposals, cost proposals, um, standard operating procedures, um, all of these things that require good, um, um, solid facts to back up what you want, you know, articulating what what you're trying to put across. And my report writing is, you know, it just, it's just second nature now. You know, I know exactly what I'm trying to get across and in and, and a way that I'm trying to sell myself. And that's because I think in the police, it you know, had you had structures, you had mnemonics, didn't you? So you know that if you, you know, um, you want to do a risk assessment, you follow Thrive. If you want to do um, uh, report an accident, I think it was soda pops or something, all of these different mnemonics to help you make sure that you don't forget any element of what you're trying to achieve and that's the same in the corporate world just have a structure and make sure you've got it all written down yeah that makes sense the um as long-term listeners or long-time listeners i should say will know that the whole transferable skills thing is a bit of a bugbear of mine because you still got to be able to show that the skills and experience that you've picked up are relevant to the role that you're going for yeah you yeah. can't, you know, transferable. We, we're sold a bit of a myth around this transferable skills thing that we've just got all of this abundance of transferable skills, and these organisations are crying out for us. It's not quite like that. You still, you know, you still com- you've got to compete. It's a competitive market, and you've got to be able to show that the skills and experience that you've got are relevant for whatever role it is that you're going for. The selection process that you went through at Pinkerton, what did that involve? So um, obviously, I had to uh, write my present my my resume um and obviously i got help doing that um there's lots of schools of thoughts on writing resumes but keep it concise maybe to a page and a half or no more than three pages i think that would probably be too much but you can probably get a, a good resume and achievement what how what have you achieved absolutely you know yeah, and not definitely. yeah it's it's not all about I've done this, 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 this. No, it, it you know, what have you achieved in that role? Yeah, so um, that was great because obviously that was the foot in the door for the interview when I met with our regional director uh, and our operations director at the offices in Dubai, met the, uh, the team. Um, and that was a very low-key, um, low-key in- interview procedure, if you like. Uh, the vice president then flew across from Australia. He was working in Australia at that time. Had a meeting with him. Again, all very it's all very informal, you know. But obviously, you're being assessed, mm-hmm. um, and some some things are not that obvious. You know, it wasn't one of these competence based. Give us an example of when you've done this, and give it as no, it's not that. They're asking you about your experience. Uh, and seeing if you can actually fit in with the company. Mm, definitely. Um, so 
yeah, I mean, obviously, I was very lucky that it wasn't one of those big HR ones um, uh, because, of, I mean, obviously, um, you would probably need to do a little bit of work. But I'd say just be yourself. You know, your biggest brand is yourself. So know how to sell yourself. You know, I, I wouldn't encourage anybody to say, oh, I'm a police officer. Uh, no. You you are a law enforcement officer that are going out there to protect the public, and you do this by X, Y, and Z. You know you have to sell yourself because if you can't if you can't um, enjoy or, or enjoy talking about what you do, how can you get somebody else to 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 be enthusiastic about about what you do or what you can do? So you need to sell yourself. You do, and that's something we're a bit rubbish at. And I was, I was well, it is nobody. Nobody likes to talk about. Yeah, nobody likes to. Nobody likes to talk about themselves. You know, because you think, oh, I'm, yeah. I'm a bit big-headed. You know, mm. but but you know, that's that's exactly at the time when you have got to be big-headed because, yeah. like you say, it's a competitive world out there, and you really do need to say. Choose me because I'm the I'm the best option out of everybody else. Yeah, I can hit the ground running. You know, I've got these. I think degree of humility. I think as well. I talk about this in in some of the transition training that I do. But having that degree of humility as well of of um, you know in an interview almost turning around and saying look you know I know I've got skills and experience that I can bring to the organisation, but I'm not the finished article. There's yes. loads that, that I want to learn. There's loads that I'd like to do and, and progress. And I think this organisation is is the right one to help me do that. And I think that's that degree of humility and that ability to to actually not go in there thinking you know it all is is a really lovely human trait and that makes a massive difference yeah well that was you know that was exactly what i i said when i went to the interview at the um, anti command complex um the anti corruption squad mm. you know i said what well, i i might lack in knowledge i'd make up an enthusiasm because mm. i wanted to learn mm. you know but what i would say um about the corporate world is that Yes, you've got great experience or people have got great experience from the police, but sometimes they are looking at some more kind of academic-based qualifications um, and you'll probably see, you know, um, a lot of them may want a degree. Um, and, and I found that as well. There was a lots, of, lots of opportunities that I saw and I thought, oh, yeah, I can do that, I can do that, and I can do that. And then when you get to the end of the, of the job description, it says uh, a degree is required. Um, and so, again, to, to, to support my transition into better opportunities, I did take a degree or do a degree um i completed that in law and criminology um, a few years ago yeah Yeah, a few years ago um and i think look it didn't i didn't need it for the pinkerton um but i definitely think that it helped me not to get the job but it definitely uh, has given me a different perspective on a lot of things of course it's increased my knowledge base about certain areas that i didn't really have a um, much of an idea about um and a lot of that was research based as well mm-hmm. um but yeah so i would encourage people that to, to to have a look at i mean i did mine with the open university which is one of the accredited and recognized universities it's been going for over 50 years in the united kingdom but there are others as equally as good um, um and just have a look that a lot of them offer free courses as well 
Um, and if you find one of those free courses, then that's a little bit of a foundation and go on and do something else. And, you know, you, it's all modular based. You can do it at your own time. Yeah. Uh, so I would encourage those people that haven't perhaps got a degree or a diploma to um, invest financially in your future as well. Yeah, I completely agree. The, you know, that investment of <clears throat> excuse me of courses or training is, mm. is really, really important. What I would say is, is don't let it hold you back. So every role I applied for, I've been out seven years now, every role I applied for has said you must have a degree. And I think if if you've got some really good experience that you can put front and centre, um, you know, on your CV resume, I think that's, you know, that does make a big, big difference and people will yeah. forego it if you've got the right experience and, and you, you're a really good fit. Um, but you're absolutely right. I think that further education and or sorry, higher education and then, um, you know, course um, specifics like project management, Prince2, those sort of things, if you want to go down that route, are, are really important to invest in. Yeah. Definitely. That's brilliant. Thank you for that. But incredible. What a great story. Oh, just amazing. And I love what you've done. And, um, you know, it, it's, I say this because I'm always gobsmacked by the, the people I've speak to i'm very very privileged and and you should just be really proud of what you've done it's uh, it's incredible i just think you know we've i've just been very very lucky um when i look back at really you haven't been lucky you've worked (laughs) hard for it you've done some amazing things i know you're you're right i i know i'm a little bit modest but from when i look at back andy to my background you know um council house kid from essex uh divorced parents you know low income left school with, I think, one O-level, and that was in religious education, um, I wasted my school years. I didn't have the discipline then, and it wasn't until I got probably, well, when I went into the police, I thought, you know what, what a waste of, what a waste of my education. And then it was when I was in the police, I started thinking, you know what, I need to, I need to, to, to continuously develop and, 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 you know, I'd been out of the academic arena for such a long time that I started off just doing GCSEs, one or two here every other year, psychology, biology, you know, law. And then, and I enjoyed it, but I thought, you know, I need to just step it up a bit. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I have been, I have worked for it. You're right. I have worked for it and I should, you know, acknowledge that, um, so yeah, I should stop beating myself up and putting myself down, shouldn't I? We all do it. We all do it. Yeah. Absolute pleasure talking to you. Real joy. Thank you so much for your time, Justine. It's brilliant. And a, and a Thank great you, story. Andy. And I know it will make a big difference to a lot of people. So. Well, I hope so. Look, um, and if anybody wants any advice anywhere, just look me up on LinkedIn and I'd be happy just to point you in the right direction um, or, or guide you or just to say hello. It's been a pleasure, Andy. Thanks very much. I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Justine. It's um, I, it was lovely talking to her, and uh, what a great story! And I particularly thought the uh, the wedding uh, was was amazing. So if you like what you heard, then please leave a review, and go to Apple or Spotify and uh, and leave a review there. I'd really appreciate it because the more reviews and the more comments that are made, then the more people get sight of this, and I get an opportunity to listen to it. Don't forget, you can also join the uh, private Facebook group, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash blue light levers. And uh, don't forget, you can also do some free tech training as well. So if you go to bluelightlevers.com forward slash with you with me, you get an opportunity to do uh, free personality and skills profiling. And they're offering uh, free courses, free tech courses. So you can actually 
train and reskill and get a career within the tech industry, be it cyber or project management, whatever it might be, all for free. So that's bluelightlevers.com forward slash with you with me. As always, massive thanks to Sam from Right Rule Audio for uh, for helping me out here and doing all the editing. And uh, really looking forward to speaking to you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye for now.